0: Okay, so again, good morning. Again, good morning. So this morning we are now in the book of Acts in chapter 2, one of the best known portions of scripture in the book of Acts. In fact, most people who know anything about the book of Acts know this chapter. As we look at the scripture today, we're going to see that Jesus' disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, I know today's Palm Sunday, and uh, sometimes we talk about that, but we had recently talked about that when we were studying in John's Gospel and the other Gospels over the last couple of years. Uh, But this morning, what I want us to do is continue to go through our study in the book of Acts. So here we find ourselves in chapter 2, we're going to look at much of this chapter, not all of it. We'll pick it up again, and uh, it's very uh, apropos that we'll be talking about the resurrection next Sunday from Peter's sermon, starting in chapter 22. But this morning, I, oh, excuse me, chapter uh, 2, verse 22. Uh, what I want to do right now is just read a couple of verses, then we're going to pray, and we're going to get right into it, and we're hoping that we'll be able to, this morning by the Spirit's teaching, understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What happened? Why? And what the purpose of being baptized in the Spirit or by the Spirit is? Let you know what. Let's pray, and then we'll read. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word. I thank you for our worship time together, our fellowship time. We look forward to continuing in fellowship as a church family. We thank you for those visiting. We thank you for those uh, who have been with us for a while, being able to join us today. We thank you for those who are listening online who, uh, out of consideration, may have had the sniffles but decided to stay home and uh, couldn't be with us today, and I'm sure they miss being here. Uh, We pray for those who are seriously ill or sick and are having a difficult time with that, but we ask that as a church family, we would all be in the Spirit now as we look at your Word and study together, that you might fill our hearts. So fill our hearts with your Spirit that we can't even begin to contain your love, your mercy, and your grace as we reach out to a hurting world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. When the day of Pentecost came, chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now this is really a most peculiar circumstance. Nothing like this has ever happened before, up till this point. It's happened since, but not before. Jesus' disciples were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. Let's set the stage. Jesus had commanded them to stay in Jerusalem until they were baptized with the Spirit. We saw that last week, last two weeks. They were in the upper room in the temple precinct where they had been staying. There were about 120 disciples who stayed continually at the temple in this upper room praising God. They were together praising God. You see, that's when God does his best work, I think. When we're gathered together praising him in unity, united in Christ and we're praising him that's when i think god's spirit can work to the max and that's what we see now let's talk about the day of pentecost cuz i always heard about this day but didn't really understand it until i was older pentecost in greek means 50 days 50 days it's the jewish feast of weeks in hebrew Shavot. all right so it's a jewish feast but the greek term is pentecost which means 50 days the feast was celebrated on the first day, or the first Sunday, after seven weeks after the feast of the first fruits. Okay, which is a feast that took place on the first Sunday after the Passover. So you had the feast of the first fruits, and then I guess about fifty days later, fifty days after that Sabbath. Before that, uh, you have the Day of Pentecost. So the feast was celebrated on that day. Uh, it was the first uh, Sunday after the Passover. The day of the first fruits, sometimes called the day of the first fruits, was actually the day of Pentecost, and that was on a Sunday as well. Always a Sunday. Always. First day of the week. And the the day of the first fruits was celebrated with burnt grain and and drink and sin offerings, which were offered once during this one-day feast. Burnt offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings, sin offerings, all offered on this one-day feast. Now, one thing that's really interesting to me And I think you're going to see a common thread that this feast was like no other. There were things that took place on this feast that didn't take place on any other feast. And one of the things that I noted is that they offered loaves of bread with yeast. They offered loaves of bread with yeast or leaven during this feast. Now, that was not permitted during the other feasts. This is the only feast in which leavened bread is allowed, and leaven is used to symbolize sin in the scriptures. So keep that in mind. That's an oddity right off the bat. And during this feast, one of the major messages of this feast was to remind people to provide for the poor and needy during their harvest. This was the beginning of the harvest season, the very beginning of it, and they wanted to remind everyone, be generous and provide for the poor and needy and they allowed bread with leaven, which again is a type of sin. So there seems to be this openness about this feast toward all people. An openness and leaven, sin, it seems like sinners are sort of welcomed into this feast for, for a number of reasons, as we'll see. It's also called the Feast of the Harvest, or Hag Hasir, because of its timing, where it is in the calendar, it begins the harvest season. Some of the earlier crops would be harvested shortly after this. There was a law in Leviticus 23 called the law of gleaning. And it benefited strangers or aliens and Gentiles. It was specifically targeting those outside of the people of God, the Jews. So this feast was all about reaching out outside of their perimeter to those who might be considered sinners. Little leaven. For those who who, who might be strangers, or aliens, or even as we see here, Gentiles. That was the focus of this feast. And I think that's why leaven is allowed. But anyway, the Jews would would celebrate, they would rejoice with their children, their servants, the strangers, even the Gentiles living among them. Everyone was welcomed to attend and celebrate this feast, in fact encouraged to celebrate with them. So the Jews celebrate by reading, of all things, the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth is all about the law of gleaning and helping the poor and the needy. And, by the way, the theme is the redemption of a Gentile bride. I want you to stop and think about that, because we call the church the bride of Christ. And the church is born on the day of Pentecost, the day where they allow leaven in the sacrifices and and even reach out to Gentiles. And, as we see here, Celebrate and read about the redemption of Ruth, a Moabite, a Gentile bride. I think it should be clear why the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. We'll talk a little bit more about this. It's also associated with the giving of the law or the old covenant on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. The feast spoke prophetically of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, But the Lord came down on Sinai on that 50th day, that day of Pentecost, after the first Passover. The Holy Spirit came down 50 days after that time period of Christ's crucifixion as well. So, think about it. The Lord came down onto Mount Sinai on the day of Pentecost, after the first Passover, and now that Passover has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, after his death and and even resurrection, we now see that the day of Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit comes down and the church is born with an emphasis on reaching out to the Gentiles, an emphasis on reaching out to those who are sinners, and the redemption of his bride, the bride of Christ. You can see why the symbolism is so powerful. Now, each of the seven major feasts of Judaism have a prophetic significance. I've just talked today about the feast of uh, Shavuot, or the... uh, Feast of Weeks, or the Harvest, or called Pentecost. There are others, and we're not going to get into it, but just to give you an idea, keep this in mind. Each of the feasts, there are, there are seven major feasts, each of them have a prophetic significance. And the first four have been fulfilled, and let me point this out, each of them on the very calendar day of the feast. For example, the Passover. Christ was sacrificed on the Passover, for our sins. The Messiah was sacrificed on that Passover day, and then there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which took place shortly after that. And it was during that time that Messiah's body was broken. That is, he was. it was a time of reflection and examination, and that was the time that Christ was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, or in Hades. So there you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then something wonderful happens on the first Sunday after the Passover— which is the feast of the first fruits, and Jesus is the first fruits of those who are raised from the dead. So you see, those three feasts are fulfilled within one, one week. Christ fulfills those three feasts. 50 days go by. And then we have the feast of weeks. And the Holy Spirit baptized Messiah's disciples. And now there are three feasts that have yet to be fulfilled. They have not been fulfilled. We know that Christ is coming again. Amen. And I believe, it's pretty clear, if the first four of the seven feasts were fulfilled, if prophetically on the very day they they fulfilled the prediction and Christ brought about their fulfillment and then the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we can expect that the fall feasts, the last three that they still celebrate in Israel, but those three feasts, those three feasts will be fulfilled, I believe, on the very calendar day. Now, remember what I said about setting dates, though? I'm not doing that, okay? I'm just saying that I believe that this will happen. That doesn't mean that that's when the Lord will necessarily come back. I want to be careful here because we just talked about that in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. There's the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, where you have the future gathering of Israel. That hasn't been fulfilled yet. Well, it's begun because Israel's gathered in the land, but that hasn't been completely fulfilled yet. And then you have the Day of Atonement, the future redemption of Israel. These are all about Israel. The other feasts, well, about Israel and the Gentiles. This one's mostly about Israel. Uh, The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, a future redemption of Israel. Then you have the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the future kingdom age of Messiah. So I believe there will come a day when these feasts are fulfilled. What happens leading up to that, I can't tell you, but this I do know. I do know that when the church is raptured, some some have gone so far as to say, well, if the church was born on the day of Pentecost, well, then the church will be raptured on the day of Pentecost. I I caution you, uh, we don't know that. But some people feel that way. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Right? But that'll be coming up in a couple of months. But I'm not setting any dates. I'm just saying that's what some people say. But I believe that There will come a time when the church is raptured to the throne of God, and then some of these feasts will be fulfilled, and Israel will experience them as we have experienced as as the people of God, the first four of the seven feasts, okay? That's all I'm saying. Uh, But having said that, keep this in mind, that once the church is raptured, I believe, being a premillennialist, pre-tribulationist, dispensationalist, I believe that sometime after that, we'll enter a time period known as Daniel's 70th week. And for seven years, the world will go through an incredibly difficult time, much more difficult than this last year. And we know that in the middle of that week, the temple, which needs to be rebuilt, by the way, in order for it to be defiled, the temple needs to be rebuilt or desecrated. Uh, When... That day happens, we're told in the book of Revelation, I think it's 1260 days, we're told exactly how many days it will be until the Lord returns to rule and reign over the earth. So you can set the date once those things happen because the Bible tells us, but you can't until they do. Are you with me? So right now we have no idea, but we know that these feasts will be fulfilled, the fall feasts. We we, we know that. We'll talk more about that, I guess, as we go through the scriptures. Uh, And even this morning. But anyway, let's get back to our text. Jesus' disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit on this day, fulfilling the prophetic implications of the Feast of Weeks. It happened suddenly, by the way, without warning, while they were all praying together. They heard something powerful while they were sitting together. It was like, like, it wasn't a mighty rushing wind. It was like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. They not only heard something, they saw something personal happen to each of them in verse 3. It seemed, again seemed, it wasn't, but it seemed to be tongues of fire. And if you remember John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 verse 16 said that he baptized with water, but the day was coming where the Messiah would come and he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And now we're beginning to understand that there's, there's a, a parallel with the Holy Spirit and fire. And there's a lot of symbolism there. But there are, there's something that seems to be like tongues of fire. A mighty rushing wind seems to be like that. And this, these tongues of fire, they, they separated and came to rest on each of them. So first, it was without warning, which tells me that when the Spirit works, you may not have an idea it's happening or that it's going to happen, which is okay because God doesn't need your permission to work. Secondly, they heard something. They heard something powerful, but they were all together. And then they saw something personal. So not only without warning, but something powerful and personal happens when the Holy Spirit fills you. It may be without warning. You may not expect it. When that happened for me, when I experienced that personal infilling of the Holy Spirit, I won't tell you where I was, but I was praying praying for one of my brothers who had become ill. I was at work and I needed a quiet place. I'll let you fill in the blanks. So as I was there, quietly praying, the Holy Spirit filled my heart and my life in a way that he hadn't at that point. Not yet, not yet. And I had just recently heard about the Holy Spirit, and I had just recently prayed, Lord, fill me with your spirit. But in that moment where I was in in prayer and and heartfelt contemplation about someone I cared deeply about, suddenly I began to speak in tongues as I prayed, and my brother got better. Now, I'm just saying that what happened, I, I don't know how. I just know that's what happened. I know that's what happened. And ever since then, I, I know that in my life, God has revealed to me certain gifts, giftings, empowerments to do his will and to do his work. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this today, but you, know, you may not have experienced that. What do you do to experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you have to come up here, turn around three times, jump down, You know, do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around? No, I think what you need to do is simply ask. God will give the Holy Spirit to all those that ask. Doesn't that... Isn't that what we read in the scriptures? Seek and you'll find. Right? Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. If if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more does the Father give the Holy Spirit to those that what? Ask. That's all you need to do. We don't need to have a special filling of the Holy Spirit, you know, service or something. At any moment in your life, you can cry out to God and say, God, I want more of you. I want, I want to be filled with your spirit to do your will. And I'm not going to tell you it's going to happen right then and there. See, here's what happens in, in, in a fleshly type service. They say, okay, we're all asking for the Holy Spirit. All right, somebody do something we can say. You know, well, this is really cool. Somebody did somersaults and somebody spoke in tongues. And this guy over here, he stood on his head for half an hour. Listen, listen. I was in the men's room praying for my brother because it was a quiet place. It doesn't matter where you are. What matters is the state of your heart. It will happen, sometimes without warning. In fact, I suggest it probably will. Probably will. That's how it was for them. But it will be powerful. You'll notice a change in your life for service. This is about ministry. It's about others. The empowering of the Holy Spirit isn't about you. Oh, great, now I have a career in preaching because the Holy Spirit's come down and given me the gift of being a pastor. No, it's about others. Sinners, Gentiles, reaching outside the family of God. That's what this is all about. Just like the Feast of Pentecost itself. So they not only saw something and experienced something and heard something powerful, they saw something personal. It wasn't just something that happened to a group of people. It happened to each and every one of them as these tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each and every one of them. See, your experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit will be personal, unique, powerful but personal it's not going to be the same thing that everyone else experiences so when we see in some churches they invite everybody up and they say okay if you ask for the holy spirit the proof is that you're going to speak in tongues paul said it clearly in first corinthians not all speak in tongues i've never spoken in tongues publicly never been led to but i have spoken in tongues You see, my point is, it's not something you can predict. It's not something that's the same for everyone. It's something that's unique to how God is going to empower you for ministry. Obviously, I'm charismatic. Obviously, I believe all the gifts of the Spirit are for today. You might not. That's okay. We'll explain it to you when we get to heaven. So what I, want, what I want you to understand is we're looking for all that God wants to do in and through our lives. Can I hear an amen? That's it. And it will be powerful and it will be personal. But they also experienced something peculiar. But together, peculiar. Oh, it was powerful. Oh, it was personal, but it was peculiar. It was something that never happened before. In fact, it was so strange it got everyone's attention. And I think you'll find that sometimes God works that way. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit enabled all of them to speak in other languages. Oh, how I asked for this when I was studying Spanish. For three to six years, I struggled my way through learning how to speak Spanish. And every time I say, Lord, I got other things I need to do. Can't you just, like, you did it, I believe you can do it. But no, it was that three years of a weekly lesson with my teacher, and then another three years of practicing, and then, you know, years of just getting up and teaching in Spanish and speaking in Spanish. Oh, yeah, I'm fluent now. Okay, great. Yeah, it didn't happen like that. That was work. So I didn't receive the gift of tongues in that way. I didn't receive the ability to speak. Wouldn't that be great? But you know, what? if that happened, I would have told everybody. I would have wrote a book. I'd be on TV. You know, We know that would have destroyed me. So God made me you know, work, and he blessed my efforts, and here we are. Okay? So that's, that's great. But being able to speak in another language... Listen, there are times where I could see that that would be beneficial in sharing the gospel, but that's not what this was about. This was about something peculiar happening that would have gotten everyone's attention. It wasn't so much about what they said, but that they were saying it in a language that everyone could understand. Yes, it was important what was said, but less important in the sense that they were saying it powerfully in a way that they couldn't have without the Holy Spirit's filling. Okay, are you with me? So when we bring people up, and we don't do this here, but you bring people up and you pray for them and you kind of coach them, okay, you know, just say, just just move your lips and see what happens, you know. Just, you know, she wrote a Honda, she wrote a Honda, you know, we do this to, 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 to people, and, and I think we do a great disservice to their souls, to the teaching of the church. And as Paul says, when when unbelievers come in, or anybody that has any common sense for that matter comes in and sees this stuff going on, they walk right out the back door and they think these people are crazy. And if I've offended you, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just telling you what my response would be to something like that, okay? I've seen it, and it wigs me out. So, can you imagine someone who's, oh, we have some visitors here today. You know, stand out. Bring them forward, you know. Pray over them. She wrote a Honda. She wrote a Honda. At least that's, that's not going to get the job done, folks. That's not what we're about, okay? You can clap. It's okay. <laughs> we're Pentecostal. All right, so... <clears throat> I'm saying these things because some of you are recovering from church ministries you've attended. You're refugees from churches where you've been, I'm not going to say abused, but taught improperly. And when that happens, it does damage to your understanding of God and his work, and especially that of the Holy Spirit. But listen, I believe every single gift is for today. But this gift given on this day It wasn't about speaking in a language that they didn't know. It was about speaking in a language that others did know. To get their attention so that then they could speak to them and share the gospel. We'll see that very clearly. Okay. So it was something powerful. It was something personal. And it was something peculiar. You know, the Spirit will work in interesting ways. You may not be comfortable with it. I'm not always comfortable with it, but he does work. But every time the Spirit works in and through our lives or fills our lives, here's what happens people get saved. People get reached with the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? Sinners become saved. We welcome the sinners and the Gentiles into the church. You see, that's what happens. That's what happened here. That's what the feast was all about. Redemption of a Gentile bride. Okay, now we get to the next section. I'm going to read it in its entirety. Verses 5 through 13. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. This wasn't gibberish. They were speaking in a real language, which I actually believe is, believe is what tongues is. I think it's you speaking in a formally unknown, unlearned language, an actual language. I, I do not believe that it's some kind of special prayer language that only God can understand, okay? There's no reason to believe that. Scripture doesn't teach that. But anyway, it goes on to say this. They came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans, who were known for not being educated and also only speaking Aramaic, by the way, are, are not all these men who are speaking at Galileans, uh, then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues." Okay, so that's what happened. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? See, that was the whole point. To get them to ask the question, what does this mean? But of course, some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Which, by the way, generally, if you have too much wine, you don't make any sense. And if you are speaking any language, it's very hard to understand what you're saying. I don't know why they came to that conclusion. I I think they just didn't understand what was going on and made fun of them, basically. I don't think they really believed that. I think they were just making fun of them. Okay. And that would be sad, but it's still true. Now, as I look at this, these God-fearing Jews heard the sound of Jesus' disciples speaking in their native language. That would have gotten your attention. Have you ever been in another country? Uh, Maybe you've been on vacation. Maybe you've been on a missions trip. And you turn around, and not only is someone speaking English, but they're from New York, and you know they're from New York. And you're like, Whoo! You turn around because it's like, what? Hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Long Island. And you, and you hit it off because you're like, wow, they, they speak my language. There's a lot of different flavors of English. Okay? So they were hearing... People speak, and it wasn't just dialects or accents. It was more than that. It was actual language that they were hearing. That would have gotten anyone's attention, and that's what this was all about. So let me say this. Let me just say this. If we ever in the church were called to experience a very similar outpouring of the Spirit, my guess is it wouldn't take place in the church. It would probably take place outside the church. It would probably take place among people Who either didn't speak the same language you speak or were bilingual. And it would probably happen among people who didn't know Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So to try to manufacture that in the church is it's just silly. It's just it's it's ignorant. I'm gonna call it what it is. It's ignorant. You shouldn't do it. If God decides to work, it might be peculiar, we'll submit to it. But you know what? That's never happened here at Calvary Chapel, and I'm not surprised. But I wouldn't be surprised if it happened under different circumstances. Okay. So having said all that, they were staying in Jerusalem. All of these uh, foreigners who heard Jesus' disciples speaking in their native language, they were staying in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, which we've already talked about. They feared God. They were determined to obey his commandments. So they had the right heart. They were open, is what I'm saying. They were God-fearing Jews, but God-fearing. And God wanted to reach them. They wanted to hear from God. So all of, the, all of the right things are in place for God to do this work. These foreigners had traveled to Jerusalem. Generally, they would travel about three times a year to celebrate these annual feasts. There was the Passover, as which we've already talked about, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Firstfruits, which took place within one week in the spring. So they would travel, celebrate these feasts, travel home. And then they would celebrate Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks in the summer, and then they would, in the fall, celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and uh, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, or Sukkoth. And this would all take place within, a, within about a month. Within a month. So uh, all of that was kind of built into their calendar. And so here they are on this Day of Pentecost, which, again, we've talked about. Makes sense. And God decides to reach them because they're God-fearing. Now, the sound of Jesus is... Uh, disciples speaking caused a crowd to gather in bewilderment. My very first mission trip back in 1987 was to Anchorage, Alaska, and I am not an actor. I am not a street evangelist. I'm not even comfortable with that kind of thing, just to be honest. But I was part of the team, and uh, this is what we were going to do. We were going to create a little commotion at this for a rendezvous festival in Anchorage, Alaska, and gather a little crowd. And then the people who were much more gifted than me would do their thing. Okay? So we had, like, you know, tambourines and stuff just to get attention. And there was a lot of this kind of stuff going on, little skits and things. And we would do this skit. I was one of the background players, you know. I wasn't nominated for a Tony or anything. I just, I just was there hanging out. And, and, and we were all doing our thing. And then people, again, much more gifted than me, would share the gospel And people would come forward for prayer. But it started with me shaking a tambourine and getting people's attention so that they would gather around. It wasn't something I wanted to do, it wasn't something I was even comfortable doing, but we did it. And God worked. And that's sometimes the way it is when you're doing a work of the Spirit, you're not always comfortable. Well, God worked in that way, and I think this sound just got everyone's attention. All these foreigners that traveled to Jerusalem from every nation under heaven in obedience to God's word, they're in the right place with the right heart, and God is going to meet them there. They were utterly amazed because the men who were speaking were Galileans from northern Israel. None of this made sense. So everybody's scratching their head. Like, what? Some people are like, ah, the guy's a drunk. They could not understand how these unlearned men were able to speak in their native languages. Now, Jesus' disciples were told, were declaring the wonders of God in the languages of the surrounding nations. I don't know what they were saying. We're not told, but the wonders of God, how good God is. The wonders of God. That's what they were saying. They weren't declaring prophecies or speaking to individuals. They were, just declaring. They were actually praising God in other languages. So, one of the other things I think you'll find is when a legitimate exercise of the gift of tongues takes place in the church or generally outside the church, which is where it really, you know, can happen in this way, in this way, Uh, what you'll find is what people are saying is something praising God, glorifying God. Now, there's another gift called the interpretation of tongues. Now, if you're praising the Lord in French and someone happens to speak French, they don't need the gift of interpretation. Like these individuals, they know what you're saying. But let's just say that someone started to praise the Lord in Swahili and someone from, like, Ireland suddenly understood what they were saying. That would be both the gift of tongues, unless they spoke Swahili, and then there would be also the gift of interpretation. But it's always to bring attention to God. It's to bring attention to the wonders of God. So when these gifts, any gift of the Spirit brings attention to you, then that's not a proper use of the gifts. So let's understand that this is about bringing attention to him. Amen? Okay. So now, this is going on. And remember, these Jews could undoubtedly speak Aramaic, or at least Greek. They probably spoke Aramaic. as They they later understood what Peter was saying when he gives a sermon. He didn't continue to speak in tongues. After getting their attention, he then begins to speak in his native tongue, which is Aramaic, and he shares the gospel. So they didn't need this to happen to understand. It was to get their attention. Okay. The Holy Spirit enabled these disciples to speak in other languages for this purpose, and the individuals who were listening were amazed and perplexed because they had no idea what this could mean. Most of them wanted to understand But some of them ridiculed Jesus' disciples. So what happens next is quite interesting. Peter explains. Let's turn back to the scriptures now. In verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning." No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and he begins to quote from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter gives us an idea of what's going to happen now. And now is still happening. These are the last days. And much of what he mentioned there from the prophet Joel hasn't happened yet. What he's saying is, this is the beginning of that whole process. Now, he didn't know how long it would take. He wouldn't know that 2,000 years later, we're still waiting for much of this to take place. He's just saying, this is what the prophet Joel talked about. Now, I want to point out, he's standing up to explain. This isn't a lot of hoopla. This is an explanation to those gathered that... Jesus' disciples had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter boldly raised his voice with the support of the other apostles, speaking to his fellow Jews and to all those living in Jerusalem. This man and the other disciples had been hiding in fear of the Jews, we were told in John 20, verse 19. They were hiding in fear of the Jews. Now they're just praying and waiting, like Jesus said. Now the Holy Spirit fills them... And Peter's boldness is in stark contrast to his denial of the Lord during his crucifixion. What happened? What changed? You know. The Holy Spirit. Because he changes us. He gifts us. He empowers us. He enables us to do that which we couldn't do without him, for his glory. And what does Peter do? He politely asks for the opportunity to explain to them why they were speaking in their native languages. What does this mean? May I tell you? May I explain it to you? Let me explain it to you. I'd like to explain it to you. There's no no judgment in that statement. It's a request. Let me explain. Give me the opportunity. I'd like to explain it to you. Yes, he dismissed the suggestion of some in the crowd that they were drunk with wine, but then he gets to the point, he quotes this scripture in Joel as a prediction of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and indeed it is. His quoting of this verse to explain their speaking in other tongues is inspired by God. One could question his previous quoting of verses in chapter 1 because they didn't make a whole lot of sense. But this is now a different man. This is a man who was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, gifted in wonderful ways. And when he begins to quote the scripture now, it makes sense. Now it's clear. This anointing of the Spirit was promised by the Lord. He promised to pour out his Holy Spirit on all Israel in the last days, back in the book of Joel, hundreds of years earlier. And this anointing of the Spirit would follow the events of what Joel wrote in the previous section most people are not familiar with in Joel chapter 2 verses 18 through 27. I'll recap it for you. Joel, Joel tells us that Israel will have been restored to prosperity. Israel will have been delivered from the invading northern army and that these events precede the beginning of the millennial kingdom age. It's a pretty wide berth. But that's what Joel said. So these things happen, and then this happens. But Peter's quoting a verse that begins at the day of Pentecost, or is fulfilled beginning at the day of Pentecost, and goes all the way till the coming of Christ, the last days. And much of this has not yet been fulfilled. But this was the beginning of that fulfillment. Now, the anointing of the Spirit would differ greatly from the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, you remember samson david even Saul. others were anointed or filled with the holy spirit in in a powerful way but it was different this was very different in fact we're told joel tells us and peter quotes that the spirit would come upon all israel's men and women young and old aren't you glad ladies aren't you glad older folks like me aren't you glad younger folks aren't you glad So this is the truth. This is what was going to happen. And indeed, it has happened. Israel would receive the gift of prophecy as they preach the word of the Lord. The gift of prophecy as they preach the word of the Lord. And Israel would receive the word of prophecy in dreams and through visions. And all of this began on this day and predicted by Joel. Now, this anointing is the ultimate fulfillment of what started on the day of Pentecost. Just began. Peter quoted Joel to explain to all of these Jews the anointing of the Spirit in the church. And indeed, we continue to experience this today. Maybe differently, but we experience the same anointing. According to his, that is Peter's, application of Joel, they were and we are in the last days. If 2,000 years ago they were in the last days, we're in the very last days, I would say. Israel was anointed by the Holy Spirit at the very beginning of the church age, and nothing's changed. Jews and Gentiles continue to receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit today. And brothers and sisters, after the rapture of the church, Israel will again receive this anointing of the Spirit when they turn back to God and they give their hearts to their Messiah, Jesus Christ, as the prophet Zechariah tells us, will happen. So, What else did the Lord say? Did you notice in verse 19, we're kind of, I will show wonders in the heavens, right? Above and signs on the earth below. Wait a minute. That didn't happen on the day of Pentecost. That's what's going to happen at the end of the church age or at the end of the last days, actually, not even the church age, the end of the last days. This is what takes place at the beginning of the church age or the last days. These things in verses 19 and 20 take place at the end. So there's your time period. It begins with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it will end with the coming of the Lord. Can I hear an amen? So that's what we're waiting for. He promised to show wonders in the heavens in the last days. We're told darkness will precede judgment in the last days. We're told that these signs will precede the second coming of Christ. Peter mentioned these wonders as if they would soon appear in the heavens. He had no idea what would happen or when. He was not confused about the day of the Lord. By the way, he wrote about the day of the Lord in 2 Peter chapter 3. So he's not confused about the day of the Lord. He didn't try to take Joel's prophecy out of context either. Peter was clear about that in in, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Prophecy is not of any private interpretation. He wasn't taking it out of context. He was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and communicating its fulfillment. He was simply quoting Joel for one purpose and one purpose alone, to call sinners to repentance. He promised in verse 21 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That was the whole point of quoting the scripture. That that was actually the whole point of everything that took place up to this point on the day of Pentecost. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So much of what we see called a experience of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is really just an emotional trip. It's just a high if it doesn't result in sinners coming to repentance and coming to salvation. See, that's how I kind of litmus test whether something is really of God. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this is how he reaches people, gets their attention. But ultimately, they have to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Peter promised to offer salvation by grace through faith to any that would respond in the last days, and that's the same message today. Brothers and sisters, Jesus will offer salvation to both Jews and Gentiles until the very last moment. He will return to Jerusalem to deliver his chosen people from their sins, and he will call to himself a remnant of Israel to inherit the millennial kingdom, but until that happens, we have a job to do. It's why they were waiting in Jerusalem, for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Why? So that they could reach the world for him. To be witnesses. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. You know, Paul also taught that salvation by grace through faith would take place during the church age as well. And he quoted part of this verse in Romans 10, when he said, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He also said this, he said, Whoever believes in his heart that Jesus is Lord confesses with his mouth that God the Father raised him from the dead, will be saved. All that I've shared up to this point is less important to that and to this verse. Peter quoted this verse from Joel to preach salvation by grace through faith, and as I asked the worship team to come up, that's why we're here today. If the teaching of the word and the worship and the fellowship has softened your heart and gotten your attention... And maybe you enjoyed finding out a few things about Pentecost and found this interesting. That's all great and that's wonderful. But all of that is just so you have an opportunity, if you haven't already, to to give your heart to Jesus Christ, to call upon the name of the Lord. We've already been told that everyone, everyone, men, women, young, old, everyone, Gentiles, Jews, everyone, liberals, conservatives, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So have you called on the name of the Lord? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, there may be some here today that haven't called. We know that you answer when they do. Lord, my prayer, our prayer right now is very simple. For all of us who know you and love you and call you Lord by the Holy Spirit, we ask for a fresh infilling and baptism of your Holy Spirit today for the purpose of reaching the world for you. That we might be witnesses filled with the Holy Spirit Not to bring attention to ourselves or to start some kind of a ministry based on those giftings, but rather to reach the world that everyone who calls upon you may be saved. Oh Lord, I pray that for each and every heart here that belongs to you, but now I pray for those hearts that may be seeking you or were invited out and they they didn't didn't even come here. They were completely taken by surprise. They didn't know this was going to happen, that they would be given an opportunity like those people on the day of Pentecost who had come to Jerusalem, those God-fearing people. I I think it's hard to say that if you're in church today, you're not a God-fearing person. I think you probably are. But Lord, those who have come here today that don't know you and need to be filled with your spirit, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts and show them the truth of your word. Only you can do that work. Open every heart here today, and may they quietly right now echo this prayer. Lord, I believe. Lord, I'm calling upon you. I don't understand everything yet, but I believe and I'm calling upon you because you said everyone who calls upon you can be saved and I want to be saved for heaven for all eternity. Lord, I believe that you did come and you died on a cross for our sins. You're the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. That you rose again on the third day. That you ascended into heaven and you make... Intercession, ever living to make intercession on our behalf. And you promised to come again. We don't know when, but we know you will. But we believe these truths and we know that if we cry out and say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior, my personal Lord and Savior. I, I want you to be the Lord of my life and my heart. And I give you my heart. And I don't even know what all that, that means, but I ask that you give me the Holy Spirit. Anoint me with your spirit that I can understand those things. As I give my heart to you, as I call upon you, And I know in doing this that you have promised and you will fulfill this promise to save me from my sins, that I'm forgiven because I repent of my sins. I I admit that I'm a sinner and ask for your forgiveness that I might be saved. This very simple prayer, these very simple prayers we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.